Welcome to Filmstrip and our Superman retrospective series. Who is he? What's his name? Where does he come from? What's he got hidden under that cape of his? Batteries? Featuring Brian. Do you like pink? I like pink very much, Louis. And Jay. To a nice guy who's about to finish last. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of films featuring the Man of Steel. I tell you, boys and girls, whichever one of you gets it out is going to wind up with the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. And now, here's Brian and Jay. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we welcome you to our Superman retrospective series and this review of Superman, starring Marlon Brando, Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, and Margot Kidder. Directed by Richard Donner, released in 1978 on a budget of $55 million, grossed over $300 million in its box office run, and started a trend, a different trend for what superhero films could be at the box office. So, Brian, why are we talking about Superman? Well, Jay, the reason that we decided to do this is because, as many of you know, Man of Steel is the newest relaunch of the Superman genre or uh, movie series and uh, will be coming out this summer. So we figured, why not go back and look at the Christopher Reeves Supermans and even the Superman Returns that came out a f- you know a few years back now and uh, in, in preparation for that movie. And then we'll, of course, hit that movie as well. So... We're here to do a little Superman retros. Yeah, uh, you know, we're not doing any of the 1950s television stuff, and we're not going to do Supergirl or anything like that. I mean, there's none of that here, but we are going to do Superman, uh, the, the films that we have grown up watching. And when I think of Superman, I think of Christopher Reeve movies. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know many people my age that don't. I mean, that's that's the Superman I grew up with. It's the... Of all the comic book characters out there, it's one that I've probably identified with the most out of all of them. It's one of the few I've ever bothered to read a comic of, and I have always been into Superman in some way or another, but a lot of it stems from having seen these movies growing up, and uh, Mm it's going to be fun to kind of revisit them. What about you, your connections to Superman? Uh, We watched them a lot as kids uh, growing up. Um, Obviously, these were released right around the time I was born, so uh, it was a lot later that we started watching them, but we watched them quite a bit. At least uh, the first two we would watch over and over again, and uh, I believe my grandparents had them at at their place on VHS, so we'd pop them in over there when we were over there. And what I liked, too, is uh, they had an Atari system and had the Superman video game back then, (laughs) so we used to play that all the time and I'm pretty sure I never figured out what the point of that game was and even to this day can't tell you what you were supposed to do other than fly around and go into telephone booths that's about yeah that's that was one of those never-ending games (laughs) Uh, so I I do remember that but yeah I you know Superman as a concept really I'm I'm excited about the idea of what can be done with this and Mm -hmm. it it should be said Brian when they were trying to put this together, the producers and, and the folks that were putting this thing together, they weren't convinced it could work. The, yeah. you know, it, it, it really took the convincing, really got done by the Salkins, and it was really Richard Donner that 
showed him that, hey, look, this is how this is going to be done. And he took it upon himself to make sure that people understood we're going to play this and everybody in this film is going to play this as if this could actually happen. Yeah. This is real and you're going to believe a man could fly. That was the whole marketing campaign for this is you will believe a man could fly. And, you know, we have to watch this with 21st century eyes now. This movie's, what, 35 years old now? 45? Yeah, 35 years old at this point when we're recording this podcast? Yeah, but... Still, you know, the effects and what they do, just knowing what they had to work with at the time, it's amazing to see what they were able to do. And it is. Yeah. I, I I think a lot of that, though, the credit of it goes to Donner. Absolutely. And what's interesting, too, you mentioned it. Uh, Warner Brothers, who own the rights to the Superman movie and, and, and the comics and everything else, basically said, uh, you know, if you want to do this, you're doing it on your own. You go do it, film it, pay for it, whatever, bring it back, and then if we like it, we'll release it. And so the Sulkins, yeah. like you said, they basically funded this whole thing. And they spent, like you mentioned in the opening, they spent $55 million of their own dollars on this movie, and they spent it pretty wildly too. If you if you were to watch any of the documentary uh, information that they had, they spent a lot of money on Marlon Brando for very little gain on on what he was there. But they knew that his name would bring recognition to the project, which it really did. Uh, they spent a lot of money on Gene Hackman, who played Lex Luthor, and uh, uh, basically, what I find the most interesting is for the main character of Superman, they were looking at people like Nick Nolte and Robert Redford at first, but it was Donner, (laughs) like you said, who said, no, it needs to be someone fresh and new. And he's the one who really made sure that someone who nobody knew was going to play that character. And the most interesting piece, I think, is that Christopher Reeves was was put forward by the casting director, and uh, they kind of kept skipping over him, and he put his name at the bottom of the list every time, bottom of the list every time, bottom of the list every time. They'd bring someone in, bring someone in, didn't like it. And Finally, they just looked at it and said, you know, this guy actually can do this well. And they screen tested him. And he was the first one to actually make Donner believe that he could actually fly and had had that. So that's why they went with him. Well, it was that and it was the fact that it, they needed an actor, you know, someone that could be, that had studied acting. It was a serious theater actor because what they were going to ask someone to do was to play two completely different people and sell yeah. that on screen without a lot of changes and stuff. And I want to tell you, that's probably the genius of the Reeve performance in this film, if, if there's anything, is how differently he plays Clark Kent versus uh, Kal-El Superman. I mean, yeah. it, it is night and day. And it's, I mean, it's as simple as takes off his glasses and, and does something different with his hair and changes his outfit. To us, that's all it is. But all well, the subtleties it, in the, the performance too, is so different. It's all it's all the language. It's all the body movements. Yes. It's everything. He can he looks so shimpish and sheepish as Clark Kent, but he, it, then he stands up straight and he's Superman. It's Correct. it's one of the coolest things. And I'll tell you, it wouldn't have worked with any of those other actors that that have ever been mentioned for this. There's no way that would have ever worked 
with those people because they don't play those kind of roles. Right. Reeve knew what this was, owned it, and and did a fantastic job with it. I mean, this is a beloved film for all of its its flaws and wants and needs. I mean, people do sort of like the, a lot of people like this. And there's it's hard to nitpick a ton in it, but uh, you know, I this will get to some of it. But it, it's neat to hear about how this came about because not only did this happened, they were shooting this and part two at the same time. They were convinced. Yes. Yes. They needed to do one and two at the same time. They had this yeah. massive script. I mean, yeah, they were, the Salkins were all in on this Superman thing. Yeah, and everyone was told up front that this is a two-movie deal, so you're getting yeah. paid this amount of money for both movies. And, uh, yeah, you know, we'll get into what happens in part two when we get to part two, but uh, they, everyone who was signed on to this film knew that it was a, a commitment of two films and they were going to film them simultaneously and uh, everything was basically left then to the, the cutting room floor as to where one stopped and where two began. But, uh, it, yeah, just a brilliant idea, I think. I, I think so, too. Well, you want to set me up for the plot, Summer? Yeah. Well, before we uh, get too far into this, let's actually talk about what the movie's about. So, Jay, why don't you give us a plot summary for Superman the movie? All right, I would try to condense this down here. After convicting a group of insurrectionists and sentencing them to the Phantom Zone on planet Krypton, Kryptonian scientist Jor-El, played by Marlon Brando, is unable to convince the ruling council that their world will destroy itself soon. So Jor-El takes drastic measures to preserve the Kryptonian race. He sends his infant son, Kal-El, to Earth. Gaining great powers under Earth's yellow sun, Kal-El will become a champion of truth and justice. Once he lands on Earth, Kal-El is found by the Kents, an elderly farm couple, and Clark Kent learns that his abilities must be used for good and with humility. The adult Clark travels to the city of Metropolis, where he becomes a mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet and a caped wonder whose amazing feats of heroism stun the city. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor, the self-proclaimed world's greatest criminal mind, is plotting to take over two nuclear missiles as they are tested for two purposes. One, to destroy the California coast and give worthless land he owns in value, inflated value. And two, draw out and destroy Superman by having the missiles go in different directions. In the climax, Superman is tested by which of his father's voices he will obey as he races to save millions. And I, I think that's about the best way to sum this up, Brian. We, we really are just going to have to talk through this one because... In my mind, this is three movies in and of itself. Absolutely. You have the, the, the Krypton opening, you have Clark Kent growing up, and then you have Metropolis, you know, and, and what Superman is. So Absolutely. This is definitely a three-part act, um, mm-hmm. and they do it really well. And I think they separate each of the acts very, very nicely. Um, you had to get the backstory and you can't spend the whole movie on the backstory or you don't get much of Superman. And I think that's what they kind of went with here. The first act, like you said, is, is happening on planet Krypton. We get a good glimpse at what the world was like when, where Superman is from and when he was born. Um, what I liked about it is, uh, you know, Jarrell's basically telling them that we're going to get devoured our planet. So we should, 
evacuate everyone and find mm-hmm. a new place to live. And everyone else is like stubborn old council saying, nope, nope, that this is not true. We don't believe you. We're perfectly fine here on Krypton. We're going to survive. Don't you say a word or you will be banished to the Phantom Zone. And they even basically said, don't try to escape or you'll be banished to the Phantom Zone as well, which I thought was rather interesting. And of course, what happens is uh, Jarrell and his wife are preparing a, I guess, spaceship of some sort to send their infant baby son, uh, Kalel, to the planet Earth, which they have deemed the most appropriate place for them to send him because it's similar um, structure as far as gases and all that stuff to where they live. And uh, he'll be able to adapt, and, and the humans are a very similar race. I like the whole idea. I like the whole uh, setup. What I thought was interesting was um, the logos. Uh, I always wanted to know what those meant. Um, what were they? The family like crest, maybe? Because you see- I, th- I think that's I think that's what they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. They, they wanted to have some excuse for the S on the chest, and so what they came up with was that. Well, that that's what they did back in those days. Is that the the family would wear the crest. Yeah. So, and that that's where it comes from. But I'm with you, Brian. The whole setup of this thing, it, it's so awesome. It makes so much sense that this is. I mean, they go through you know time to explain to us what's happening here, and I love this world too. Let's talk about the alien world of Krypton for a minute. I mean, what a cool looking place, right? I mean, it's not. It's not what I would have thought of, but it's just, it's a lot of crystals and it's almost like an iceberg, you know? And it, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was so cool. And of course, that plays later with the whole Fortress of Solitude bit and all that. But I, I don't know. I just like this world. I think it looks amazing. And I like the whole back and forth between Brando and these other people here. I, I just, I, you know, again, they didn't have him here for much, but what they had him for made a lot of sense. I, I liked it. Yeah, you're right. They didn't have him here for much. Basically, we got this whole act, um, and then you get you know little bits of him as as uh, uh, Kalel is as researching things and and learning about his homeland uh, through lessons that his father is teaching him. Um, I liked it. I love how they uh, basically the council gets ticked off because they find out that uh, Jarrell is jettisoning his son and they're going after him while this world is collapsing they're going after to get him to imprison him which i think is hilarious that they even they even as the world is collapsing around them, they don't believe they're in danger <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's it's the the to a fault going to stick to their their guns or whatever yeah i uh, i thought those people were so so ridiculous but that's you know what i i buy it because that's that's I that I've seen that kind of struggle before. I mean, what you know, we could make an argument now that there were there are people that are saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with the economy. There's nothing wrong with, you know, healthcare. There's nothing wrong with this or whatever. Even after it collapses around them, right? I mean, that's kind of the trope of the people that are out of touch. And, it, and I like how it's played here, though, is that it's the scientist. You know, probably their most brilliant scientist that's telling them, guys, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. Nobody believes him. And so they finally just decide, well, uh, you know, whatever. And and there's a cut scene, too, that I think is pretty neat. Like, they they have somebody report to them that Jarrell is is using up a lot of energy in his pod. And they think he's trying to escape. They don't know he's sending his son away, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. But I like the the way all this goes here and the way that... You know, the wife and he have this back and forth about, you know, she's worried about sending him to Earth and all this. And he's like, he'll be fine there. 
you know, he he won't be one of them, but he'll look like them, and that's yeah. you know important at this point. I thought that was cool. I did too. I like that too. Let's also talk about the the uh, insurrectionists led by General Zod. I thought it was kind of neat that they put this in here because it really doesn't do anything for this episode other than set up ep- the the set up the second movie um right you get that right away and these guys are the bad guys they vanish them to the uh or they banish them to the the phantom zone which i thought was an interesting display having the dome open up with this light and having a piece of like glass basically come in and take them and they're entrapped in this glass then shipped off into space wasn't that, was that cool? Fascinating. I, yeah. I, the glass prison has always just—I don't know—I've always thought that was such a neat idea. Yeah. And the fact that they know, like, that the, they're in some kind of pain as a part of that too. That's the other thing, Brian. They're like, "Please let us out!" You know, once they're finally in the glass, I was like, "That's pretty cool." I, I don't know. I just—I thought that was well done, and I like Zod's speech here too. It's like Where he's, you yeah. know, come. Yeah, yeah, join me, Terrell. I could use you. And then he just starts threatening him. He's like, You will bow before me and one day your heirs will too. And I'm you know, I've I've recently gotten into watching the show Game of Thrones, which is all about this, you know, power struggles and stuff like that. And I'm like, Man, they are totally ripping that speech off. And then I started to think, I was like, Man, how many times have people ripped off Terrence Stamp? You know, this was just great little nugget performance. And like you said, He's not even in the rest of the movie. Right. <laughs> you, know, you don't see this all guy you see, again for an, you Yeah, know, all you see is them getting banished. They're thrown out there. Well, I always mm-hmm. wondered how that worked because they're going out into space. And uh, as far as we know, the space is filled with a bunch of asteroids. They could hit something like that. And what would happen if yeah. it does happen? Uh, when I watched this well, can, way back when, and always those are the questions running through my head. What happens if it shatters? What ha- Do they get freed? Uh, you know, well, can what I, goes Can on I tell you? Because of what happens, and I, I this is I'm, I'm bringing in meta knowledge and stuff here. I'll admit that, but I've always felt like I've always understood the Phantom Zone to be like it. It can maneuver on a path, and it has a path that it's set to do. So it would be able to dodge like some things. It wouldn't just hmm. purposely run them into an asteroid field. It would put them out in the dead of space where. It would there wouldn't be anything big enough to break it open or something. I, I, that's why I've always understood it. Now, I, that may not be the case. I'm probably helping it there, but I just have yeah. always understood it as such that it's it's moving on a path because I don't know. It's it's cool alien technology that you know what they don't explain it, and I think that's the best part of it is that we can sit here and talk about it, you know, yeah. and they don't really explain it. You know. And is 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 banishment into the Phantom Zone a death sentence? Do you go until you die? Basically, is that how that? That's works? what I'm wondering. How do they eat? Yeah, <laughs> it's just simple yeah. things like that. Yeah, I, there's a lot of a lot of unanswered questions. But the point is, it's clearly it's not neat. a place you want to be. Yeah, no. and that's that's the point. But then all hell literally break, breaks loose because what is it? Their their orbit has shifted, and they're getting closer to the sun. Is that what's happening on Krypton here? From my knowledge, is that the sun is moving towards them, and they're not the ones going towards the sun. It's going to engulf them, basically. And I'm not that sure. That is weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why it's doing that, but that's basically what happens. And you can see as they show you the the glimpse of everything that it's getting closer and closer and closer. And then finally, when it comes in, all of the ice crystals that they've built as their house start to fall apart because of the heat and everything else. And I just thought it was a really cool imagery. Oh, that was great, too. I mean, the way everything blows up, essentially, and falls apart. And then I, I, I like how, you know, 
his ship just gets away and he starts heading off and immediately you've got this little baby in there and you have the voice of Jor-El and it's like this is going to be several earth years you know you're going to age a good bit on this travel but along the way I'm going to teach you and I'm like wow this is like you know serious education here you know you're not even teething yet kid and you're you're already learning about all the secrets of the universe and I but you know what's funny to me I'm not a parent or anything Brian but I hear people that are parents or parents to be talking about like they they'll put audio books on and they'll put the headphones around around the mom's stomach, you know, and they'll play classical music while the baby's in the womb and they'll read to it and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's the same basic idea here is that his parenting is happening by proxy with all these crystals, but he's still getting it. He's getting that influence of his father and what he is and what he can learn and what he'll know before he ever gets to earth. And we get to take that journey with him, that long journey you know, across space. Uh, and we see the kid age as we're going along here. I thought it was cool. But what did you think about the crystal technology that they use? I mean, it's kind of an interesting little thing. It's a, kind of like our our, our uh, recording tape, our magnetic tape that we use for, for things, or even a compact disc. They record all this stuff onto little crystals, and you place it in certain spots on, on their little uh, crystal board, and everything starts happening. I thought that was a neat little technology bit. I thought it was cool. I like the the idea that everything is in these crystals, that it's it's all this knowledge, but that the it's really like important one is right? that yeah. Well yeah, yeah, it is. It's like disc for your encyclopedia or, or cassettes for your Teddy Ruxman. But it's it, the the coolest one though is that bright green one, that emerald one. And I was like, now that one must be the one that's the real important volume. You know, I, I don't know. I just thought that was, I think, I think it's cool. It's just a cool element. It's something different. And again, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of the 70s audience that was watching this. And I, I didn't see this until it was on television in the, in the 80s when I was a kid. But that's still you know similar audience. This would have been out of the world. Like up to this point, space fantasy stuff, you know, Star Wars had been the year before, but you know, up to this point, stuff out in space was ridiculous. Usually, it was silly. It didn't look anything mm-hmm. like this. And yeah. it's also the way they're playing all of it. Everybody's playing this dead serious. I mean, you know, Brando didn't even know his lines. That's the famous story. He's reading them off cue cards everywhere. That's why he's looking down all the time. But <laughs> I like that too. Is that? But he his reasoning for that was is I want to give people this the freshest read of this I can. And this is weird stuff that no person would ever say and the more i would read it the more it would just feel weird to me so i just want to do it as if i'm just talking out of my native tongue and i was like that's a that's a neat way to play it and i liked that i thought it was smart and i like all this tech and the way they're they're sort of dumping all this exposition on us before the meteorite creases across the screen in front of glenn ford's truck and lands in smallfield now i got to talk about glenn ford for a second do you know this guy at all you, i'm sure you've seen no. him and stuff but you ever kept up with him no now it's one of, i know him from like a lot of old westerns my dad used to watch and stuff but the film i really know him from is a movie called torpedo run one of my favorite submarine movies of all time we ever get around to doing submarine flicks we're gonna do that one but i love this guy in that he's just one of these character actors that he's kind of like robert mitchum he just shows up in things and he does these really great roles i and, and i always love him in this role as jonathan kent because he's only on screen for yeah. what five or six minutes? I yeah, mean, it's no time, time, but you can tell. Yeah, you can tell the impact he's he has just in his whole play. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But what did you think of the the way that he crashes and that they kind of find the boy out there in the middle of nowhere? 
I thought it was interesting, um, an interesting way to do it. And of course, I love uh, I love the the wife, her reaction. Basically, Martha Kent basically yeah. says, "We've been praying." for a, a son to come to us and here one comes out of the sky i thought that was kind uh-huh. of a cool thing so it makes sense why they would you know take him in uh, mm-hmm. otherwise you would think wow this is weird we're gonna call the authorities right most people would probably exactly. react that way right <laughs> but but she but. you know she makes it make sense by saying that they've been praying that god would give them a child some way and now one has fallen out of the sky so it's her thought that god had given them this child well, and think about it. The thing that sells him is when the truck starts to fall over as he's fixing the flat and the little boy catches the truck and yeah. bench presses well, yeah. it. Well, that, that's when he, at him. Yeah, that's <laughs> when he realizes that uh, this is no human being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? so something, something special here. So we, we got to, you know, we're charged with taking care of this boy. And that's the whole crux of the next, I guess, 10 minutes of the movie, Brian, is we kind of flash forward to see Clark Kent as a high schooler. Yeah. You know? And he's not Mr. Cool. <laughs> he's the manager of the football team. He's picked on by the other kids. Mm-hmm. And he also, when he gets mad, he can he displays his powers in the shelf way. I mean, he races a train. He's run, you know, he does all this stuff. Kicks I loved football, every bit yeah. of that. Yeah, he kicks it to the moon, you know. Yeah. And I love that. And I love how he does that and just plays it off as cool and all that. I, I don't know. I just thought that was really neat. I mean, they, you know, we introduced some characters there, there too. We got to remember Lana Lang, the redhead. You know, that's kind of his high school crush. We'll see her again later in the series. And Brad, the star quarterback kid, you know, we'll see him again too. I mean, these are his rivals essentially. And he has this whole talk with his dad. And his dad's like, You've been showing off again, haven't you, boy? And he says, well, I can do all these things, Dad. Why not do them to show off? And I love the line that Ford lays on him. He says, son, I don't know a lot of things, but you were put on earth for a purpose, and it wasn't to score touchdowns. And I thought, wow, what a great line. It is. It's a good line. And you could could tell that that, uh, uh, Jonathan Kent has been kind of, you know, telling him how special he is yet telling him he needs to keep it under wraps you know this whole time yes yeah. he has what i really like though is when he's racing the train who is in the train with watching him and waving to him it's lois lane oh little girl yeah yeah little old, and you know what i had missed that for years i did too the, the first but, time i noticed it was watching at this time now I, that is and, that is in the extended cut I want to say that that is one of those scenes that they put back in the extended cut. Of. Oh. It's not in the original cut of the film. So it is in the extended cut only. It's one of those they wanted to kind of tie her in at an early age to him. I, You know, that's what's neat about that to me, Brian, is that the whole setup of the movie Smallville, or the movie, the TV show Smallville, is that when Clark lands in Smallville, his he brings like a whole meteor shower with him, and that meteor shower kills her parents. <laughs> and oh. so the, you talk about Star star-crossed lovers i mean it's it it brings a whole different dynamic to the thing i'm not going to review smallville here but i but i always remembered thinking wow what a great setup for for the show you know the girl you're enamored with who also is into you you're directly responsible for what happened to her you know i've never seen smallville so that's interesting 
Yeah, well, someday maybe maybe we get to get in that one. But I, I, it's it's really cool to think about. But I like that. I like that little nugget here. I'm, you know, it's fine if it's. It, I watch. I'm like you. I watched both versions of this getting ready for this podcast. But um, that was kind of a cute thing. But I, I love though that the way Dad is playing on him here is. It's not a direct opposite, but it is a different directive. You know, Jor-El tells him, you will be powerful, you will rule, you could rule them, but you're not to take them over. You're there to serve and, you know, preserve truth and justice because we're a logical people and all this stuff. I mean, he's he's laying on him that you're going to be the best weapon they'll ever have, but you're not to be a weapon. You're to be a, a source of... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? An inspirational force, uh, good, you know. Yeah. But it's definitely a yeah, it's definitely a force. And what Jonathan is telling him is like, son, you can make a difference in people's lives, and they never know who you are. You yeah. know, you don't have to do all this just just to you know be special or whatever. And, Absolutely. And and I thought that was great. And then the real kick happens. Yeah, and then we see uh, uh, Jonathan has a heart attack. And he ends up dying, and that kind of changes everything for Clark. Um, this is his his father really, figure, uh, his mentor mm-hmm. basically growing up, and now that guy's gone, and uh, it 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 affects him quite quite deeply. I'd say. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, this is the second father he's lost in his lifetime. Well, but he doesn't know about his first father for. for oh no no he 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 doesn't remember who him or who he was. But he knows he came from somewhere else, and he right, ultimately right. discovers that in the next bit. So, I mean, this is—I don't know. I just—I've always thought that was kind of neat—is that he knows there's something else. But I think the greatest part of that, and it's the—it's the memorable line of the thing, is he's standing there with his mother, and he says, "All those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him." Right. You know? And I was like, "Wow, you know." And that's a—that's something to—I mean, I don't know. That's—that's that's kind of the crux of Superman is if you can do everything. Huh. And I think can you, you really can't though. There's some things he can't affect. Right? Well, and I think that that has a lot to do with what happens later in the movie with Lois. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, we'll get to that later. But yeah, he he ends up dying, and then uh, Clark is is attracted to something coming out of the out of the barn, right? And he goes in there and opens up a floorboard, and lo and behold, there's that. Green crystal. Now I don't know about you, Jay, but I always thought the green crystal was actually kryptonite. Well, you know what? I've I've wondered that too, my man, and I I don't know. I I don't have a good answer and I've never bothered to really get it explained to me. I I just thought that it was one of those things that it's the, his father says this is uh, everything I've got is in here. Everything you'll need is in here. And it glows green because I I don't I don't know I don't know why it doesn't hurt him but I do think it calls to him like in a conscious way I don't think that's just an inanimate piece like I think the thing knows when he's ready I'm gonna you know get him and and take him to you know where he needs to go or or get him in in training because that's what happens is that he goes to that thing sees it and then he takes off and he winds up in Alaska and that's how he builds the Fortress of Solitude so I. I don't know. I always thought it was cool the way it called to him, if you will. I did too. I always thought it was kryptonite that was put there to keep his powers kind of in check as he was growing up. But I don't know. Maybe that's just reading way too into it. But, you know, kryptonite is also 
a green glowing crystal that comes from the planet Krypton. Um, yeah, it so, is. The, it's the green glowing thing. I think that's throwing us both for it. Here. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I, and I don't. And, yeah. and 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 every time that the Kryptonite is around, Clark well, Ken, or uh, Ken, Superman is kind well, of attracted look, to it, right? I don't think it's Kryptonite, and here's why I'll say that later on in the movie. When Lex Luthor and his cronies are, you know, trying to find some kryptonite or a piece of the planet Krypton, they pull that news article out, and it, it apparently that landed on the planet the same time as as when uh, uh, Clark did. And here's my point about that, Brian. Like to me, kryptonite, the way I've always understood it, is it's a radioactive part of the planet after it exploded. The green crystal is just like it, it's a knowledge crystal right and the green part maybe is just krypton's energy i don't know it's kind of like green lightsabers maybe i never thought of that as a piece of kryptonite is the point i'm trying to get at i did think of it as a sentient thing though that was like calling to him when it thought he was ready did you get that yeah i thought it was definitely calling to him and I, and, and honestly i think that even kryptonite calls to him uh, in some sort of way or at least mesmerizes him um, okay, I'd go but, with that. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, I think that this definitely called to him because otherwise, how else would he just magically go to the barn and, and all of a sudden pull up this board and there's his stuff, right? It didn't make sense otherwise. So yeah, I think it called to him somehow. Like it, it sensed that it was time for him to now go and and learn what his destiny is. Oh, I agree. I think that that's the whole point is that it's time for him to go. My question is, is did he walk the whole way? <laughs> <laughs> it made it I, seem no, like he I, did. I, I I took it that he that he may have ran because he could run you know really oh, that could really be fast and clearly it it didn't make him tired and clearly that cold didn't bother him so I don't well, know yeah. that's a good question did he, did yeah, he the fly co- the cold you know the cold definitely I don't think he so. knew how to fly yet to tell you the truth but I didn't think yeah, he, I agree he with could that. fly yeah, I, otherwise I you would have seen it. But, yeah, uh, I think he learns that he can fly there. I think that's where he... I think, yeah, uh, like, I think so, too, when he gets salt and crystal information to him. Because he goes... I mean, it's, yeah. it's just like when he was traveling in space as a baby. These are filled with knowledge on the planet, where he came from, how the sun on Earth affects him, all the theories of relativity on Earth, the different rules that apply here, the gravity, mm-hmm. this and that. I mean, he's learning It's everything. Exactly, and it's... I, I mean, it flashes forward to 12 years later. So this is like Clark going to school, graduate school, and his first couple internships. I mean, this yeah. is his whole world. He spends and then a he long reappe- time there. Yep. Yeah, he reappears in society after that long break of time, you know. And that gets us to the is the middle part of this is and the transition from the second act to the the what's the really long third act and that is metropolis and the daily planet and now you know i i had this quaint kind of fainting memory you know of myself of the way they describe the daily planet as this bastion of truth and energy that the <laughs> the city unites around and all this stuff and i was like wow this was when not only newspapers existed kids but they yeah. were considered to be like center points of well, they society were, they were the news uh, they were yeah. where you got all the news there was no internet to look it up on you had to read the paper uh there, the there was tv but yeah but, but that's TV only was half hour TV a night, was, you know. 
Well, yeah, but TV is always considered you know, the more <clears throat> sensational side, right? Yeah, the exactly. News was the new the newspaper was the news. The beat reporters, you know, they knew everything. I I, I remember that time. I really do. I'm I'm sort of thankful that I grew up in that time. I remember that, but I I, I don't know. I just thought that was it's quaint. There's a quaintness yeah. to that that kind of works because when we meet up with Clark again. That's a good way to describe the way that Christopher Reeve is playing him here, right? It's kind of quaint. It's quaint and and clumsy and and um, uh, kind of like a babbling idiot. That's <laughs> yeah. really what Clark Kent comes off as. And how he gets a job at the Daily Planet, I'll never know. <laughs> I wanted to know that too. I'm like, what were the hiring practices? Did he turn in like a typing test? I could get that in the 70s. Maybe they didn't have like a, you know, had to have a degree. But, yeah. you know, you'd expect it. he had to have written something before he got there. <laughs> I mean, so what is right. he been, did he write journals in the Fortress of Solitude? I want to know. It, yeah, <laughs> it seemed like he just walked in one day and was hired, right? Off the, yeah. off the, the road and gets a, gets a spot right next to the most important writer on the team. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm like he's like one of the like the the news beat. He gets the city beat. That's a big <laughs> deal in New York metropolis. You know, this is New York for yeah. sure. And I'm like, man, I yeah, I wanted to know how he got the gig too, man. I'm like, does the green crystal like give you credentials? Is it a good reference? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's got mind control one? powers, right? Uh, who knows? Hey, can I have one of those? Because I'd like to you know upgrade my gig. But yeah, I mean, really, that's. I, I th- but that's cool, though, that they don't bother explaining you that. But here's the thing. They throw us into this world of this newspaper where you have, mm-hmm. again, this quaint guy in this very not quaint world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody is rude and tough, and they're, they're cutthroat and dog-eat-dog, typified no yep. better than Yeah, Girl well, it's Lois everyone's Lane. job on the line, right? You have to be the best story to keep your job and, and whatever else. I, I like how they, they did it. It was really kind of cool to see that newspaper environment. I like when Lois Lane comes in and hands in a copy of a story that seems kind of stupid, but she wants it to be front page. <laughs> and the first thing that the editor says is such and such word is spelled with two S's, you know, or whatever. <laughs> he corrects her, well, her well, spelling. Yeah, that's the which, running which gag. Which means... That she's great is she can't, but she can't spell. Right, but but that means she has to go back and type it all over again. Back then, right? You you yeah. You, you, once you you get the editor, you had to go type it all up one more time. There's no going back and hitting backspace and and making your changes. You had to type it all over again, which is, you saw the look on her face when he said that. It was like, oh crap, you know. But um, I I like that whole the whole vibe that they gave there. Jimmy Olsen wandering around trying to get involved. He's just a photographer, right? The photographer don't mean crap other than getting you the front page picture, but that's all they do and and his reaction to jimmy was like what are you doing standing around don't you have something to do uh it was all good i, I thought it was kind of a fun little environment it's better than what they do on like the superman mo- or the spider-man movies is where they make it look like this kind of hokey place and here it looked like an actual <laughs> newsroom was happening here Oh, I I agree. That's the thing. It looks like a functioning, working newsroom. Like mm-hmm. it's it's and having been in those, I can tell you that that's kind of what it looked like. I mean, it was it wasn't as as quaint as some of that because we actually had some technology. But yeah, it worked about the same way. And mm-hmm. I mean that it everybody is out to get the bigger story. And the funny thing is, is and and what is interesting to watch is the way that Clark plays this. Uh, I don't know what do you say this whole. Um, 
kind of lovesick puppy routine around Lois. Like he's definitely got a thing for her, right? Like that's that's <laughs> right off the obvious bat, from right? the start. Yeah, yeah, right off the bat. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it, it, yeah, it's interesting. I, <laughs> but she, of course, you know, just sees him as kind of like this eh, friend. I mean, he's in the friend zone, right? We're gonna call. Well, him I mean, he's in the. I have to be acquainted with you because I work with you now zone right now. I mean, she knows nothing about him. Doesn't really want to know anything about him, other than you get to sit over here and write your column. Blah 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 blah. If you need anything, ask me. But don't please ask me anything because I don't really want to talk to you. <laughs> That's what vibe yeah. I got off her. And then we get into one of the many times where Clark is going to save Lois Lane's life in this story here. Okay? Yeah. They're leaving work, walking out together, and walking down the street, and the mug, a mugger appears out of nowhere. Doesn't mug them, just points a gun at them and pulls them into the, the alley, right? And it's all, you know, give me your purse, lady, or whatever, and... What do you make out of the way Lois reacted to him? Stupidity. I mean, come yes. on. She's she obviously thinks very high of herself, right? You know, to to do something as dumb as that, you'd have to think that you're you're gonna outsmart someone. And so she drops it, makes him get up, she tries to kick the gun out of the way, and of course it goes off, and what happens is Clark basically catches the bullet and pretends to fall over. Uh, like he's been shot, which gets the, the mugger to run off thinking he killed someone. And all he has to say is, I fainted, right? Right. And she's like, you fainted. All this is happening and you faint. And he, right. and then uh, what I love, though, is he's like, well, is it really worth losing your life over all this? You know, and he names all the minuscule stuff in her purse. Right. Like, How did you know what was in my <laughs> purse? And it, it clued me into something, though, because, it, it, you know, Superman, the X-ray vision, Superman is a big deal, right? And I had never thought of it this way before, but I got this little idea in my head, and I wanted to run it by you. Do you think maybe like that's all the time for him, and he just can increase it or decrease its power, but that he just sort of is walking around, you know, seeing through stuff all the time anyway? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think that he just has it by nature that he can. Mm-hmm. He it's kind of transparent, I guess. Not see, you know, yeah. Not like he only sees a naked human every time he's talking to someone. But it, it, the clothes are transparent, and if he really wants to, he can concentrate and see clearer what's there. But yeah, ah, yeah. I, see, I thought of it that way too, and I thought that, that's kind of a cool way to think about it. Is that he's walking around like that all the time? That and I, and it started to make like that whole twelve years in Alaska make more sense. I'm like, that would take some time to perfect. Oh yeah, you know, that wouldn't be something you could all just of do. it would take some time to perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I like that, though, that they're kind of slow rolling that out. And I love the way he plays it off when, you know, after he kind of looks at his hand in the bullet and he's like, hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I yeah. didn't know I could do that. Well, okay. Right. Exactly. Just- like, he's still learning all of his abilities. And, and yeah, I, I like that, too. I, I think it's kind of cool that he'll still continue to, to figure new things out of what he can do as, as he goes along. So I, I like that as well. Yeah, and, and and that's the whole thing. And, you know, the whole bit is he's trying to ask Lois out on a date, and she's like, uh, the president's flying in. I've got to, you know, I'm going to meet him on the tarmac or whatever and ask him about this, that, and the other. And so he's like, oh, okay. So that's kind of his clue to, I might want to hang around tonight to see what's going to happen because <laughs> the president coming into town's a big deal, right? Yeah, right. And then... This is the part of the film where, again, if you're into it, and I want to say this, I am totally into this thing when I'm watching it or whatever, but now it's sitting here kind of picking it apart. I start to go, okay, so all the things that are about to happen (laughs) all happen at the same time for one night of escapade for Superman to basically reveal himself 
to Metropolis and, you know, proxy to the world, right? All this stuff that, that is about to happen. What did you make of the way all of that uh, craziness goes down? The robbery, the cat in the tree, the, you, you name it. All of it kind of happens well, in a row. And, and, the, and the, the plane and all that Yeah, stuff. the cat in the tree happened after the helicopter incident, <laughs> right? I mean, the helicopter yeah. incident happens first, and that's when he is, is outed, basically. And then he just decides to start helping people because he get, probably gets a high from it. But um, what I liked is the the everything seemed logical. Like the 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 helicopter gets stuck on a cord, and now it's right. out of control, and it doesn't you know just splash down. The, the controller is able to set it down, kind of, and all of a sudden, oh my god, everything's going off. Clark is walking out, and ev- this big commotion he sees, and looks up to find out what it is, and of course he's got that supervision, so he obviously sees it's Lois up there, and then. He goes and looks for a place to change. Now, my <laughs> biggest question for you is this. When yeah. I, I, when did he decide that he was going to have a different costume for Superman? I and don't how did know. he get that made? He must have been taught some tailoring in I those n- videos. I don't know. I thought the <laughs> same thing. I don't know. That is, that is one of the funniest bits. And I've often like, where do his clothes go? Does he just disintegrate them into threads? Well, at changing? first... Right, exactly. At first, I thought, oh, well, he just discards the clothes somewhere, and he'll pick them up later. But then later oh. on in the movie, they just disappear into his suit. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, he's he doing must it. just burn through them or something. I that don't know. That blew my That's, mind. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it it is. But now, imagine, too. I mean, it's blowing our mind now, 2013. Imagine what he did in 1978 <laughs> to people. And they'd seen this in the comics. I mean, the, Superman's whole changing bit in the phone booth, that was something from the TV show and, and the comics. People knew that. And I love how they play that as a joke. He goes to the phone booth, and he's like, no, nah, that ain't going to work. And so he gets Well, he the got to a half door. phone booth, right? <laughs> if yeah, it were a full yeah. phone booth, he would have gone in. But they got right. to the, the one of those ones that are on a pole. Uh, right. So he looked at it, and he's like, yeah, I can't do it there. But I thought that was great because that's a big thing when the Superman lore is that he would change in a, in a telephone booth. So I thought that was funny yeah. that they did that. Well, yeah, what you talk about in the in the video game is half the time you're yeah, in game, out of yeah. a telephone booth. Yeah. So, but exactly. They, they do the roundabout on the door. He comes out and he flies up and he catches Lois as she's falling, yeah. you know, to her death, presumably. And that great little exchange there. I've, I've got you. Well, who's got you? <laughs> yeah. And then I thought his, that was awesome. His, Oh, it's great. And then with his free arm, he catches the helicopter and sets them both back down. He's like, all right, have a good night. <laughs> and he's just gone. Takes off, yeah. I was like, wow, now that is, what an entrance. <laughs> you know, what a way to do it. But I, right. love, I love that scene, the whole way it plays, Brian. I, I think you're, you're sounding like you're liking it, too. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's a good bit of music. It's a lot of fun. And there seem like there's some stakes to it. You know, I, I dug it. I did too. I really like the whole intensity of it. And if anything, you know me, I have a a, ba- a big fear of heights, which we talked about in uh, the Ready to Rumble podcast from a while back. Uh, and, and my fear of heights is so bad that even when I'm watching something, I know what the outcome is. It still scares the crap out of me. So as Lois is dangling there from the helicopter, I'm like sweating. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? Even though I know she's not going <laughs> to fall to her death, it still freaks me out because she's dangling from the this really high building mm-hmm. on a freaking helicopter wing that could fall at any time on top of her. <laughs> and yeah, that that and oh, it, you know what? Even for as old as it is, it looks good, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it, they did a my, fantastic job. 
They did, and, and the DVD transfer looks really good. The one I've got the the collector's edition, you know, box set here, and I, my wife bought it for me uh, for Christmas last year, knowing we were going to do this, you know, series this year. And I, I'm gonna, it looks amazing. I was like, this this looks good. And I I thought, man, I bet people were just jumping out of their seats because I remember as a little kid watching this on TV, going. That is awesome, you know, and I'm still that same kid watching it going, this is so cool, you know, and it's, and Brian, we're talking about something that's an hour into the movie or beyond an hour into the movie here, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it took a while no, to we get here. Pretty far. This, well, and this is a good build. I mean, this is what I liked about the Nolan Batman movies is they really built the, the background story before getting the first glimpse. And we've gotten that in this Superman as well. As we got the, the whole background of Superman, and now we finally meet him. And I like that. I like the, I like the slow build. I think it's worth taking I think the so time too. to I, do it, and I think they did a good job. I agree. Much like we talked about in... The season three retrospective, the artist slaying of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the way they slow build the mayor and, and what mm-hmm. he's going to be in that story, it, it works the same way. Slow build, when it's done well, it can be really, really fun. And in this yeah. case, it's, it's really fun. As Superman goes on his escapades, does all these things. Now, the, the one that's really just amazing, the Air Force One gets struck by lightning <laughs> and blows an engine. And all of a sudden, Superman just picks it up, picks up that part of the wing, and he's just the extra engine. I'm like, now that, and all of the pilot is like, we got something. Don't look out there. Trust me. We're okay. Let's just fly. And then goes back to staring out the window at them like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, now that was cool. I thought that looked cool. I I mean, it's it's obviously a set, you know, but it looked cool, and it was a neat way to kind of cap off all this stuff that's happened and yeah. my question is is immediately what would the world look like the next day if that had happened <laughs> you know well, yeah, right the president would have been toasted mm-hmm. right well no uh, no not only, not only that but like what would what would what's the world going to be like now that this guy has done all these things in the biggest city you know the night before and they answer that pretty quickly i mean it's all back to that newsroom it's all anyone's talking about the whole world flying man does this that and the other thing uh it was interesting but my thought is jay you know what he he finally comes out as superman right he finally exposes himself to the world by saving lois lane and then just like you mentioned before goes on this tirade of of helping people (laughs) at random just just all over the place like everyone expects me to be here now so i'm just gonna go save a cat from a tree i'm gonna save the president from his plane that broke down i'm I'm just gonna go do all this stuff haha yay it was just really like okay it is a a random set of things right it is and it's like (laughs) he got a taste of being superman now he can't put it down (laughs) well it's it's, i think you said it before is that he gets a high off of it like yeah he is he's just a good person anyway he's a good humble person but i think he he sees this this is like a charge for him he's like i can do why can't why wouldn't i do this because i can do this this is what i have to do yeah i think he even calls it out as, as such when quote-unquote talking to his dad which i thought was really interesting little bit of technology too is that he can have a conversation with the dead guy yeah yeah he can ask it questions and and it'll so this is a hell of a good programming job by (laughs) jarell because he's not only 
he's not only you know programmed himself into this thing, but he's programmed himself to not only listen to what uh, Kalel is asking him, but also then find in his database an answer that suits it, and also to <laughs> hey, personalize it. What, eat, fascinating eat, technology. Eat your heart out, Google Talk and Siri. I, um, I liked it. I thought it was really kind of a neat little thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I th- it's it's really smart the way he learns how to communicate and, and has the ability to do so so that he can learn. And now he's putting all that learning to use. That's the kind of the point of everything that happens tonight. And that mm-hmm. brings us forward. We get introduced to, I guess, our big bad, if you will, of the movie. Mm-hmm. Lex Luthor and his two cronies, Miss Tessmacher and good old Otis. <laughs> so... And I want to tell you, there's a lot of ways to introduce your villain in in these kind of films, okay? And the, you can do it a number of ways. I will, have always appreciated this one because it's from other people's point of view. These two cops are trailing this dopey-looking guy, Otis, Ned Beatty, who's just one of the phenomenal character actors of a generation, folks. He's, he's just great in everything he's ever been in and and just does good stuff. They're following him as he's kind of walking across the city, picking up newspapers, doing whatever, because they know he's going to lead them back, or they hope he's going to lead them back to Lex Luthor and the great Lex Luthor. And the way we're introduced to Luthor is that he essentially kills one of the cops by pushing him back on the subway train because yeah. Luthor lives Immediate under the city. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that is <laughs> dark. <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't remember that from the many times I watched in the past that he actually killed someone right off the bat. But yeah, yeah you get to know how incredibly ruthless and, and uh, uh, non-caring of a person Lex Luthor is right away. And I thought yeah, it was very effective. Very effective. Yeah. Yeah, complete sociopath, you know, totally above all of this stuff. And what does he call himself? Greatest criminal mind, the world's greatest criminal mind. And I want to say this, Gene Hackman, to me, Brando aside, Reeve, everybody, Gene Hackman is the performance of the movie for me. I think he is phenomenal as Lex Luthor, and so much so, and has cast such a shadow in it that I don't know they'll ever find anyone that could do it the way he's doing it here. It's... It's amazing to watch the man do this stuff. And he was only on set for, you know, a short amount of time. I mean, they yeah, only he doesn't had have him. a whole lot of scenes either. You know? Yeah, and they only had him for a little bit. So they shot all of his stuff one and two like it real quick cuz he had other movies. To 6 do. weeks is and what they get, what he was uh, available for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's not much on a movie this big. And I was like, wow, that <laughs> no. is uh, it's pretty cool. But I liked him a lot and not I'm only you. a movie, two movies. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, two movies. And I like the, like you said, the immediate murder, you know, which, by the way, is a good name for an emo rock band. But, um, in, in the, you know, he immediately has that. And then his two cronies, we don't get anything on them, like who they are, where they came from, other than we know Miss Tessmacher's mom lives in Jersey. We found that out later. But and she's kind of she? like, yeah, it, it, it's almost like she's his girlfriend. But she's kind of like his secretary. Yeah, <laughs> or evil girl henchman. It's a mixed one. There's a deleted scene in the movie where she uh, basically says that she keeps falling for the bad guys, and why does she keep doing that? So obviously she has a love relationship with this Lex Luthor, or wants to anyway. Right, so right. That's but a little bit of a deleted way- scene, but yeah. 
but the way he talks about her and talks to her, Brian, he, he doesn't call her Margaret or whatever. He says, Miss Tessmacher! You know, he's always yelling right, at her. Right. And I'm right. like, man, that's such a weird relationship. And of course, you know, Otis is the bumbling yeah. fool. I mean, we know what he's supposed to be, so you get why he's there. He's Igor or whatever to Dr. Well, he, Frankenstein. He's, he's, but he's the trigger man or the fall guy, right? It's, it's, uh, well, I mean, he's the, yeah. And I mean, he, of course, is the big screw up, too. But I, I don't know. I just thought Tessmacher's thing was really neat. And I, it was cool that they you're going to have this trio of villains, which, by the way, I had never thought of it before until watching it for this time. But they're setting up this idea that of a trio of villains, right? We, remember those three people we threw in the Phantom Zone that we've told everybody, hang on, we're going to get to those again? Well, this is a trio of villains, too. There's three people here. Now, there's really one that you got to worry about. But there's a man and another woman. And I, I don't know. I liked that. I liked the concept, the way it kind of... You know, it's like poetry. It rhymes, to quote George Lucas for, for a minute. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody will remember that. Don't worry about it. But, but anyway, I, I, I do like that. I think it's neat. But what do you make of Luthor's whole game here or whatever? You don't know what his game is for the longest time. You know. Yeah, they don't really tell you other than he is just in it for being a criminal, it seems like. He's like, I just like being a criminal. I'm just going to do this today or that today. And you don't get a whole lot about what he's actually doing until they actually go out. And my God, Jay, these skits, that are these whole little setups that they do to get the <laughs> nuclear weapon are yes. hilarious. <laughs> they. Uh, my question was, uh, uh, how does... Uh, uh, um, how does he get all these different vehicles and different outfits so quickly? <laughs> because they're switching from, uh, what is it, a mechanic or they're, they're They're generals in the army, then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're, um, they're truckers. And, yeah. It's hilarious. And, well, she's in the same floozy outfit, and then they're ambulance drivers. You know. Yeah, I, it is like a little set of SNL skits. Yeah, almost. just throwing in one <laughs> all to get this nuclear bomb program to go off where they want. I, I, that was well, so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like they're reprogramming the missiles, so they're they're sneaking Otis underneath the um, missile launch system to reprogram the old computer with it, and he screws it up because his arm's not long enough the first time, so he reads the numbers wrong, and so they have to go back and do it again. <laughs> which I'm like, man, that's awesome. Now that you get one setup, you get two. I'm like, that's that's evil homework. Yeah, yeah. That whole segment where they're doing that just cracks me up every time because, like, like we said, they go in and out of these different vehicles and different characters, and yet the idiots driving the 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 uh, nuclear bomb don't catch on that they're the same people every time. Uh, Yeah, they never once realize (laughs) that maybe we shouldn't be on this road that's supposedly closed. We've now been stopped twice. Maybe there's something going on, but. You know, that, yeah. that actually says a lot about what we thought about our military leadership at the time, too. <laughs> I mean, that's just... Well, we're coming off the heels of Vietnam. We're in post-Vietnam. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And that, there's a reason for that. We're coming off of Watergate, Vietnam. There's a big distrust of the government. Everybody gets that. That's why, I mean, a lot of people will argue that's why this Superman film has resonated and why Superman works is that people were looking for some kind of heroic you know, figure to latch mm-hmm. on to. And sure. this worked for that. So, yeah, I can go. But I do think it's funny. I, I'm, I'm with you. But I'm wanting to know why he's wanting to reprogram the missiles. You know, at this point, I'm like, what? Okay, what are you doing exactly? I don't get your yeah. deal. Yeah, they, but they, this, they don't explain it until Superman comes, right, to confront yeah, yeah, it's, this guy. Yeah, they don't ever go into the whole bit until then. And, that's and what of course, gonna, like, 
like any good villain does, he gives away his whole secret <laughs> as he thinks well, he's you know, killing right. the, the guy. At, 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 at that point, there was lots of James Bond movies out already. That was, oh, you had to gosh, do that. it's hilarious. So, I mean, that, was, that was part of it. But, but you know, going My back evil now, plan is this. It, yeah. In the meanwhile... Mm-hmm. Clark, of course, is is one of the many reporters. You know, find out all, everything you can about this guy. We need to know something about him because nobody knows what to call him even at this point. And he works out this deal. Like, I want you know, I'm going to take Lois out on a dinner date, and she finally agrees to it. But he slips her this note from you know Superman, not calling himself that. It said, "I'm a friend. You know, meet me on your terrace or whatever at 8 p.m." So he sets mm-hmm. up this whole bit where Superman flies in and allows himself to be interviewed by Lois Lane. Yeah. Now, what did you make of the way you know, she interviewed him, the questions she asked and stuff, long before he took her flying, but you know, all that other stuff? Well, I think that uh, it started off as, well, uh, as uh, what was supposed to be a, a serious interview, and then she started flirting with him, you know, basically. Yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious. I, I like some of the exchanges that they have with each other, the whole... Uh, can you see through things? Yes. What color underwear am I wearing? Well, you're in front of a lead <laughs> planter. I can't see through lead. Oh, and then she backs mm-hmm. away. Pink. <laughs> you know, she's like, okay. Yeah. I, what did you I, make of that though? Too. That there's exposition in that. I, he's telling a lot about himself. That I thought that was cool. I did too. I mean, he's getting some some information out there to the people so that they don't fear him. Number one, because what's the first instinct you see something that you can't explain is you're gonna fear it. Right, exactly. even though it was helping, he's now got to mm-hmm. make sure that they know that the the people know that he's there for good and not to be feared. So I think that's one of the main reasons he's doing this. The other one is that he's got a thing for Lois, right? So anytime he can get with oh, Lois, yeah. he's going to take advantage of it. I think you're right. I think it, it works both ways. And and you brought up a good point there. I've never thought about that. Is that he doesn't want people to fear him because in my mind I'm going, why are you telling everybody your secrets? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but on the other hand, he's like, I'm invincible, so I, you know, there's no reason for me to be afraid. Now I don't want anybody else that's good to be afraid either. And did you love this though? That she she's like, what's your you know motto or whatever? And he's like, I fight for truth, justice, and the American way. I'm like, right, wow, that right? that yeah. is from a different time. <laughs> Captain America, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, we brought we brought old Cap back, I guess, you know, recently. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. That that uh, I, I don't know. It was just that was neat. Uh, it, it was it was a neat little touch, and was a, definitely a, a, a it was a fun interview. But then it, it delves into one of the things that's always been a prickly point for me. Yes, is the. Do you want to go flying? I'm going to take you flying in Lois's spoken word poem, which was supposed to be a song. Margot Kidder can't sing, so it became a poem. But I don't know. What did you make of this whole flirty flight? Like, my wife is sitting there watching this with me going, wouldn't she be freezing to death right about now? And exactly. running out of oxygen? Well, he did, he, did tell her that, uh, he did tell her that she'd be plenty warm. So, I mean, that was already dealt with. Does he, does but, he radiate heat? <laughs> he could. You never know. Yeah, uh, well, he's from, he's from a cold planet, so they got to heat themselves up somehow because you got to keep the body temperature, right? But anyway, uh, that whole yeah, that whole can you read my mind crap, that always <laughs> bugs me because it's like, really, do we need a monologue over this flight? <laughs> Honestly, it, it it was stupid. Number one, well, 
but it does set up the fact that she's infatuated with Superman, which I guess is a good thing. But they could have done that a better way, I think. Well, well, it sets up two things, Brian. Not only is she infatuated with him, he's equally infatuated with her. And I, I will say this. I'm, I'm with you. I always, I hate this part. I just always evaded this. But watching it on this time for this review, it dawned on me when the end of the movie happens why that is such a long, lingering sequence. Because no one would have believed he goes through what he goes through to save her unless they understood just how connected they were. You couldn't just say it enough and hint well, at it. I think they had to be overt about it. So yeah, I'll give it that I on th- that level. I think you're right, but I would have liked it much better if after that long, boring poem was done, <laughs> Superman would have said, yes, I can read your mind or something like that, right? Yeah. So that he, he can say, yep, I got the, uh, I got it. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> or that something, because otherwise yeah. it's just a long poem that does nothing for me, right? <laughs> it's it's certainly not going to be on my my you know shuffle anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> I hope it won't spool it when I'm trying to run or something. But yeah, um, I might just float for a while. <laughs> but but the the whole the whole point of that is is that it is this great interview and it gives the name because he flies away and Lois does the whole what a Superman and she's like yep. huh yep, Superman that. and that's and luckily. I mean, Luckily, that just happens to start with the same letter on his chest. So, I mean, we're good. Yeah, there. okay. Yeah, now you've hit the other point. I'm like, <laughs> how did they get that right? Because his name's Kal-El. And I don't, he never says it. Like, he even makes a joke out of, do you have a name? He's like, do you mean like Ralph or something? <laughs> you know? but yes. He's like, I'm yes. going to tell you my name. It wouldn't make any sense to you anyway. But I, I like the whole, that she goes Superman. And I, I don't know. I just think it's cool. I, I, I really, I thought it was pretty nifty. I, it was neat. But it also releases a lot of information into the public and as i was sitting here fearing the wrong people are going to read it and of course the wrong people are luther Luther, absolutely otis now yeah how Mm -hmm. here's what 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 gets me they're reading this article they figured out all of a sudden he knows exactly how to what the weakness of superman is what (laughs) how does he well okay no he he explains it, and it's not a great explanation. Okay, I admit, but I I get what they're trying to say. This guy is so smart that through logic and extrapolation, he figures out that okay, if you're from some place and it exploded, that place is radioactive, and if being here is what gives you power, I wonder if being there, you know, a piece of that might hurt you or kill you. Yeah, or something. I don't. I, I get it the keeps logic the powers train. down. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I get the logic train that he's going on. And I'm like, okay, that's a little bit of a stretch, but I will go with it because the way, and I'll tell you, it's all in Hackman. The way he sells that, it sounds like an evil genius figuring something out. I mean, it's just, it's all in that performance. And that's all I can really say about it is I go with it. It just tells me that he can do it. Yeah. It just tells me that he reads a lot of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> because to just pull <laughs> yeah. that nugget out and then go to the encyclopedia and be like, yeah, 1950, what do we say, 1951 or whatever, yeah. that this meteor landed. So what are we at? We're in the 70s right now, right, in this movie. Right. So we're talking 20-some years ago that this hap- that this event happened, and he just happens to recall that. Well, maybe wow. maybe he read it. Maybe he read it a few years ago. You never know. But the point is that, that Again, he does have he the just recall to for recall it. that. 
but but what did he say? He's a he's a criminal. He's the world's greatest criminal mind. He's a genius, and that's the thing is in the comics and everything. Lex Luthor is a genius. He is a genius who uses his genius for evil instead of good. That's the the thing is he is a he's just an evil genius. And I think he started out as like a mad scientist, and then they changed him to like a evil businessman. <laughs> a mad scientist. as the times have changed and stuff like that. But I mean that's what he is. He's a mad scientist basically. And I and I made it before I made that a little illusion that you know Otis is his Igor. He's Dr. Frankenstein, man. I mean, he just he knows stuff that he shouldn't know that normal people don't know, but he just knows. And I, I kind of go with it. And they come up with this plan that, that I love this idea, though, is that, that you know, he's got we're going to we're going to get to Superman in the way only we can do. He mm-hmm. sends out the message, this coded message about a gas pellet going off in a in a school or something like that or on the city on a frequency that only dogs and Superman can hear. Yeah. And I'm like, now that was a cool idea because Clark is in his editor's office and his editor's giving him this whole, boy, you need to have more ambition and blah, 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 be more cutthroat. And he's not even looking at him. He's just ranting. And Clark is like, what is, you know, he starts reacting to that noise and it gives us that great transformation scene you already talked about where he jumps out the window (laughs) and then becomes Superman. (laughs) His clothes magically disappear and he's got... Which, by the way... I've worked in a lot of busy newsrooms. I think I would have noticed if somebody jumped, jumped out, the, out window. the window. I agree. <laughs> and most of those buildings, the windows don't open enough for you to jump out or open at all in most cases. Well, this was the 70s. Maybe they didn't have air conditioning. I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just saying. Even it, so. It's, it's a conceit. We have to give it for this because the whole point, and we're not even talking about the fact that I think it's funny that you and I are hung up on the size of the windows, but we're totally cool with the alien that can fly. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be something out there with aliens that can fly, right? <laughs> but at any rate, he he finds his way to where he you know he's right above Luther's lair basically, and his whole thing is stand back, folks, nothing to worry about. And then what does he do? Does he like spin he becomes a drill? Like a top? Yes, he yeah. he becomes a does drill. He, does he point? <laughs> he's his a toes? man of steel. He well, doesn't need to. He's a man of steel. Apparently, steel can bust through <laughs> layers of tar and dirt and crust and everything Earth. else to get down there. <laughs> Concrete. I mean, the teamsters uh. are going to be pissed that. <laughs> but po- point being is he, he drills himself down into the layer, and it's all a trap. You know, we don't know that at the time, but it is the big trap because he gets there and he blows the door open, and it's you know, this <laughs> thing of strength, right? It's it's you know he's there. Okay, Luther, where's the gas pellet? And My they favorite have this whole. My favorite yeah. is Luther's comment. It's open. <laughs> yeah. See, bust. Oh, I know, but but I love what Luther's like in my mind, you know, and he's just laughing, yeah. and he's like, only you know, sick people would think of that, and he's um, but Superman doesn't believe him. He's like, no, I know you've got it around here somewhere, and he falls for the bait of like you put it in lead, and you think that's going to keep me from getting it, you know, just because I can't see it doesn't mean I don't think that, you know, I don't know that's where you think it is, and it let me know that Superman realized, I'm giving away my trade secrets here to this reporter, babe, right. because I like her, and I want people to feel comfortable with, but I need to realize that somebody's probably going to use that against me, so if I get around somebody and they got something, they got a lead case in front of them, that's wherever whatever it is is, Yeah. and so I'm like okay, Superman's his own Scooby team, I get it, I like it, I, I'm going with it but it's it's his reaction when he opens the case to that kryptonite and you mentioned it before brian it's like he's mesmerized by it but at the same time he's immediately affected by it 
Right. He loses his powers when he's near it and, and, and all that. And, and definitely, it's almost like the kryptonite is also calling out to him or something and puts him in kind of a little bit of a trance and a scare at the same time. He's definitely afraid of it, but he yeah. he's drawn to it, right? And, of course, Luther has it attached to a chain, which he puts around his uh, neck. And Superman basically becomes human. He's yeah, got well, no power you know, at all. Here's the thing I can tell you too about the scare bit of it. I think it was, I think there was a realization on his face of shock of like, I can't believe this guy went to this length to get to me. You know, he must be really serious about whatever mm. he's going to do because we should mention before he drops the, the um, kryptonite on him, Luther explains to him his entire evil plan, and his evil plan is to fire two missiles. You know, he's going to take over those nuclear test missiles and he's going to fire one at the San Andreas Fault in California, which will basically blow the left coast into the ocean and make his worthless desert land around it, you know, the new left, the new west coast. And the other one's aimed in New Jersey. And the only reason that one's going there is because he doesn't think Superman can catch both of them at, you know, right. at once. He's going to have to choose. And it was a way to draw him out. And I thought. Wow! What you know? What as far as evil plans go, I gotta give it Luther's. That that's a pretty that's a pretty dastardly, and I could buy it playing. I, I, I'm kind of down with it. I think it's yeah. It makes sense the way he's got it set up. I agree. So we've established now that uh, Metropolis is on the West Coast, correct? No, no, no. Metropolis is on the East Coast. It is in New York. I mean, that's but what the, it is. It's got it's got a bomb it's hitting a, the San Andreas Fault is what's causing Lois Lane to get gorged into the earth. Co- correct. Lois Lane is sent out there on assignment to find out who's buying up all this worthless land. It's a drop line ah, in there. Metropolis is on Metropolis is on the East Coast though, and the only reason you know that, that that's the avatar for New York is because they have the Statue of Liberty. Everything else there is New York except ah. the name. So yeah, that's on. That's why there's two. There's one going to Jersey, and there's one going to L.A. or to San Andreas. And that's the um, the other part is he gets thrown in the pool, basically drowning. And Lex is getting his crew out of there to go, you know, do whatever they're getting ready to do after the aftermath. And Miss Tessmacher comes back to see if he's okay, and he begs her to, you know, please save me. And she says, only if you go to New Jersey first, because my mother lives in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he makes that deal with her. So he goes and gets the Jersey missile first, because that's the one he throws out into space that explodes. Yeah. You know? And because he does that, the other one has time to reach its target. And it hits the fault line, and he has to book it back down to Earth. Now, let me ask you this: What is he doing when he's tunneling under the Earth? There is he trying to he, stop? He's trying the to stop aftershock. Yes. Yeah, he's trying to keep the because what uh, what the earthquake? He's trying to stop the earthquake, which is what is triggered by the bomb going off in the San Andreas Fault. So he's trying right. to get to the where the the plates kind of rub against each other, so he can calm that. That that's right. always how I took it. So he's going down into the fault to find where the um, the two the the fault basically where the two plate plates of Earth meet, and that's when mm-hmm. those rub against each other, which causes the earthquake. So he's trying to stop that, and in okay. turn because he can't stop the bomb because the bomb's already gone off. So he's trying to stop the after effects of the earthquake so that he can calm the situation. Okay, see, I always wonder what he was doing flying underground like that. I'm glad you explained it to me because I I. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, but he's doing this. And while that's happening, 
Lois is trying to outrun an aftershock that's splitting some of the ground underneath well, her. She's not trying to outrun it. Her car is actually stopped. Yeah. It, it ran out of gas. Oh, that's right. So that's right. she's yeah. stuck. And she's trying yeah. to get it started again. So I don't think she's... She, I think she's honestly oblivious to what's going on behind her. She saw the explosion, yeah. didn't know what it was. She's trying to start her car up and, and get going mm-hmm. again. But she doesn't see that behind her, the earth is cutting into two and it's going to engulf her. Otherwise, she would yeah. have gotten the hell out of that car. <laughs> you know, and what did you make of the way that the earth swallows her up, basically, and she drowns in the dirt? That was a yeah. pretty rough scene, man. Oh, it, it is, but it makes a lot of sense because the fault comes right underneath where she's at. So obviously it's going to swallow her up. And I liked how they did it. I thought it was well done because you have Superman over on the other side there pushing rocks in to stop the 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 dam that burst from right kill, yeah, the uh, Hoover t- dam. taking over yeah. yeah taking over a city right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing that, and on the other side of him, the rocks are falling down now on Lois, and she's trying her best to escape, but the momentum of the dirt in the, in the rock is, is stopping her, and it basically swallows her up. I thought it was a very yeah. powerful scene. I, I, they did a really good job of that. And props to oh, yeah, I, th- I thought it looked because she, she, she withstood the whole thing herself. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, she really... I, I don't really go for her much in any reason for any reason at all, but I would give her props for that scene, if for nothing else, because she went for the gusto in that one and and took one for the team and i Mm -hmm. thought she did an amazing job yeah uh, with that i was i was impressed brian i'm I'm with you i thought i thought that was well done and uh i mean it was again it wasn't a quick death it was slow it was hard and by the time superman Mm -hmm. yeah he gets there and he pulls that car up and throws that door off and he sees her and he just has that that whole realization that moment the same way as when his father died or when Jonathan Kent died, right? All that mm-hmm. I could do, and I couldn't save her. Well, you this know? time he, he, he knows that he has a way to, but what's going on in his head is the words that his father had told him that you, whatever you do, you cannot alter the course of human of history. Human history. Yes. You cannot do That's it. That's right. the number one sin you can commit. And what's he do? He does that. Well, that's well, yeah. That's the thing. It's the it's the two fathers' voices are echoing in his head at this point. Jarrell is saying, "You, it is forbidden for you to alter with events in human history," and the other voice is Jonathan saying, "Son, you were put on this earth for a reason." Reason, absolutely. And he has to decide and, which one to, to to follow. And what? And how about the fact that he follows his earthly father? You right. know that that he decides, no, I'm I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Well, he lets his emotion overcome him, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. He mm-hmm. he lets the emotion of the the situation take over his his uh, decision making, and he's got these two voices telling him what he can and should and shouldn't do, and he just says, "Well, I'm going with my heart," and my heart says, "I need to do this." But what makes zero sense to me, Jay, is he goes and he spins the world back around. But they never show how he's able to get the New York or the New Jersey missile out still and come back in time to get the other missile because nothing breaks after that he spins the world around. Everything's back to where it was before the missile hit. So what happened? How did that work? My thought is is that the missile that went to New Jersey 
is already off in space. He's just spending time back around, so maybe that won't affect it to have it come back, and all he now has to take care of is the other missile? I don't know. And no, no, because it would, it would reverse its track. Here's what I, I honestly think, Brian. He but he's turning long... time back on Earth, but not in space. Okay, hmm, I don't know. I, I'm gonna let me explain to you what I'm reading it as. Okay, mm-hmm. and what I've always read this as is that he spends they they go through a lot to show you that he's spending a long time with that missile in New Jersey, flying it back out into the space. He kind of lingers with it a little bit. I, yep. I've always took this as that he goes back and he grabs that one, chucks it, and then gets to California, takes care of that one, and he's there in time to you know greet Lois at her car. I, I mean, but that's the only, way, the only thing I can one. read it as. But my thought is, how does he get to that one so quickly all of a sudden, whereas he didn't before, enough time for him to get back and get this other one? I mean, that that's my conundrum, because if if he's truly spinning things back in time, <laughs> there should be another Superman, for one, chasing the missile, but there's not. And the, the other thing is that he's still got to then go get the other missile and this one. So he's still got to do the work twice again. So how does he figure out the speed I, to go at to get it? I, I don't know. Maybe having weird. having and they not don't show, done it once? Yeah, maybe not having not catching, done it once? I don't know. He just knows what he learns to do? It. I, I don't I, know. I'm it you. could there's, be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no answer to it, and you're right. And, and they don't, don't show think, it. So No, they don't. It, the whole point is that you're to realize at the end of this is that he reversed time, he made sure she was okay, and then he goes and he catches... Lois, uh, not Lois, goes and catches Luther and Otis, and he takes him to prison. Yeah, you know, and I love that that he doesn't take Miss Testmacher. You know, if she gets off okay, it's it's Which Otis and Luther important. who go to jail. Yes, it is very very important to note, but that he gives her a free pass because she saved his life, even though the bargain was I'll save your mother, but. You know, I don't know. I just thought that was cool. I, I, I don't know, Brian. I don't know the answer to, to the how did he catch what missile win or whatever. I really don't. I just realized that it's it. the reason he's able to do it now maybe is because he's maybe he lived it once and now he knows what he has to do to get it done. I don't know. That's yeah, I just to, to me, that's a very weak spot in the movie and it mm-hmm. could have used some more explanation or graphical evidence of what happened you know i don't know it to me it's just weak and and it all it does is it serves the purpose to show that superman is in love with lois lane i mean that's really it um and that he'd do anything and to that, protect her and that he will bend space and time to make sure yes. she is okay now that is love my friend i mean and you know, that you if get- you wrote if you switch the earth's <laughs> gravitational spin from one direction to the other you can reverse time Sweet. Appar- apparently, so. <laughs> so, time travel in movies is always a sticking point. We know this, so it's I don't know. I just had to go with it. But you know what? Here's the thing: at the end of it, he flies off into the sunset for more adventures. I, at this point, like I, like I always have been when I see this movie, I'm just with it. I like it. The performances are carrying me to to a fun place, and I'm enjoying what I'm seeing, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it to know that there are more chapters to come, and I'm curious as to what's going to happen to Superman next. That's what I want to know while I'm watching this end scene, and and that's kind of where I am at the end of this movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed how this this movie played out. I thought they did a great job with with the different acts and, and giving them the appropriate amount of time to build up the character. 
and just knowing that there's a number two out there it was it was a satisfying way to end it I, I agree, and I think we're at the point of the podcast, Brian, where it's time to give our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for the film. So what are yours for Superman? Well, I mean, we, you and I, we grew up watching this movie. It has a special place in our heart because of that. And I will say this, that doesn't always hold the case that that, that love for a movie that you watch when you're a kid retains as you get to an adult but in this case it does uh i just enjoy watching this i i love watching it with my two boys they really enjoy the the whole superhero uh, movie genre and so they love watching this so it's a nice bonding moment there too and it's just a really good film there are a couple things that i didn't like in it like i said i didn't like how he reversed time and didn't really explain how he got all that stuff and i didn't like the stupid poem um i thought that was pretty bad but other than that the movie's solid. I love the build-up, the, the explanation of who Kal-El is, how he got to be who he was, the whole... I wish a little bit that we got a little more story with the Smallville-type stuff, but I guess I can go watch the TV show if I want to fill in the blanks there. But uh, overall, this is a really good movie, and I give it a large popcorn rating for me. Easy. I'll say this. Don't watch Smallville if you want to fill in the blanks because that's a different <laughs> continuity. But that's another story for another day. Brian, I'm with you. I have a fond memory of this from childhood. And like you said, sometimes those fond memories betray me <laughs> greatly when I go back and, and revisit things. Uh, and then sometimes things are just bad because they're bad. Leprechaun series. But, <laughs> you know, they, that is what it is. But this movie is entertaining and i watched this thing three times getting ready for our retrospective i watched the theatrical cut i watched the um extended cut and then i watched the theatrical cut again with the um commentary on it because i wanted to hear what donner and the song because everybody had to say and i found that to be a very very fun and interesting experience and Every time I go back to this thing, I find some new little gem, some fun thing to hang on to that I end up liking more. And I will go out on a limb now and say, of all the Superman films that have ever been done up to this point, this is the one that gets the most right. It doesn't get everything right, but it gets the most right. And I, I like this one too. It's a strong, large popcorn for me. Not perfect, but it's certainly a lot better than a lot of what was out there at its time and a lot of what came after it. So large popcorn for me too. I think it's a very fun film and you alluded to it. It's a good family film. You know, you can watch this with, with the young kids or the old kids too and enjoy yourself. So a good, good uh, large popcorn for me. This is just the beginning, though, folks. We're just starting our Superman retrospective. Brian, we're going to be doing Superman 2 next, and we're going to do another episode on Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, because, yes, there are two different versions of the film, and they are vastly different, kind of like what we did with Alien 3 and Alien 3, the assembly cut. There are significant enough changes that we felt like we can't really cover them talking about it in one episode. We're going to give both of those. Of course, Superman 3 and 4 don't have extended cuts, and there's reason for well, that <laughs> and I, I will say this jay i've never seen the donner cut so this will be interesting for me 
that will be very interesting. I, if you've never seen it, it is uh, it is a different experience. I will just say that, and we'll we'll get to that one coming up. But we got those coming out, and then of course we'll we'll lead right up until Man of Steel comes out later this summer, folks. You can find more episodes in our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click on the link that says movies, and you'll see the way we've got everything organized by keywords and searches over there on the on the right hand side. You can find all of our past episodes in other retrospectives or other just one offs that we've done. You can find a link to our other podcast, The Art of Slaying, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, or to the Fabish Factor podcast, our general movie discussion podcast there as well. You can also find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Hop on our Facebook page, like the Continuous Play page, let us know what you think. You know, it, it, We've certainly you know talked about a lot of different issues here with this one, so if you have opinions about it or, or whatever, feel free to post it up there, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes as well. It really helps us get the word out about podcasts. We appreciate your support. So until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening. To Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. And that you're um, totally impervious to pain. Well, so far. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Farewell forevermore.